You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D&B Supply Show. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald, and I am just thrilled to have you with us here again today. Well, today we've got a very special episode. You know, some months we get five Saturdays. That's five episodes in a month. And so on this fifth Saturday, we're doing a special episode, and we're interviewing a couple different personalities from the Treasure Valley of Idaho. We're going to have on Bree Eggers as well as her father, Drew Eggers. And it's a really interesting story about how Bree became or came to become one of the television news personalities here in the Treasure Valley, now working as a meteorologist for KTVB Idaho's News Channel 7, and how she grew up on a mint farm in Ada County and Canyon County, kind of right there on the line, and how that influenced her growing up and how she's come back to it, how that brought her back to Idaho. And her father, Drew, came along with her to talk all about mint farming and everything that goes into that and how he saw Bree grow up and how that led to her career as a personality on the television, talking all about the weather and some of those experiences that she's had. In addition to all of this, as if that was not enough we find out how Black Cat Road got its name. I'm just going to leave it at that, and you can find out in our episode how one of the most identifiable roads here in the Treasure Valley, Black Cat Road, wound up with that name. We'll have that coming up for you here in just a moment. Well, Drew and Bree, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks glad, for having us Glad out. to be here. Hey, you bet. I'm looking forward to talking with you both. And uh, Bree, you've got a really interesting story. And then Drew, uh, I'd love to talk farming and uh, always okay. have been fascinated with mint farming. So we'll talk about that too, if that sounds all right with you. Okay, great. All right, well, let's do this. Drew, I'd like just for a second, if you could just give us a quick introduction of yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, and, and where you do it. Well, I'm uh, Drew Eggers, and uh, my wife and I came back to the farm in uh, 1978. I'm a fourth-generation Idaho farmer, and the reason I came back to the farm was to raise peppermint, and we've been fortunate since that time to uh, raise mint and, and distill it ourselves and, and uh, I guess, have a little fun at it. And Bree, can you do the same for us? Yeah, um, my name is Bree Eggers, and I'm my dad's youngest daughter. He has two two girls that he raised on the farm, and um, I went to CUNA High School, so I'm from here. I grew up here. I was actually in the 13 year club of CUNA, so you know preschool, kindergarten through high school mm-hmm. out there. But um, I went to San Diego State for college, and I kept kind of moving away from the farm and spent a couple of stints in. Europe a little bit, studied abroad and moved to England for a minute as well. And uh, I just lived in Boston for four years to work as a meteorologist. And we had a baby in July, my husband and I did. And so we just thought, you know what, you can't do this when you're so far from home. And -hmm. it's not a quick flight to get back to (laughs) Boise. We missed a lot of things about this area. So we came home so uh, so that our daughter could grow up here. Well, I wanted to say welcome back to CUNA, and of course, my studio is located on my farm in CUNA, and, and you two are nice enough to come out and sit down with me here in the studio. But yeah, welcome back. I'm glad you can come back to caveman country. Oh, it's changed. It's changed <laughs> quite a bit, but the high school is still located next to a dairy. <laughs> the high school is still located next to a dairy, and actually, if you saw the uh, the big construction project on the corner, 
coming in where they're pouring the concrete this morning. That's a new DME supply. Oh, no way. It that's is. great. Okay. Yeah. That's what I just said to him. What What is going up there? A lot of things going up around I here. I know. With that DNB going in just a couple miles from my house, the mileage on my pickup is going to decrease yes. immensely. <laughs> uh, so I'm not driving to the Nampa or Meridian DNB. I just go right down the road. Yeah. Yeah, well, very good. Well, I'm thrilled to have you both here and and to talk about this. And and this is something that we're doing just to kind of profile people from our area, people from the West who have interesting stories. And it's it's tied into what we do at DNB Supply with agriculture and farming and and all of that. So really, really thrilled to have you here. So let's do this. Bree, we're going to start off with you. And Drew, anytime you want, you feel free to jump in. Okay. Okay. But Bree, tell us what you do for a living today. Yeah, I am a meteorologist on Idaho's News Channel 7. I am so excited to work for KTVB, and they were kind enough to, you know, make a spot for me to come home to. Uh, Obviously, I grew up watching them growing up here in the valley and so it's pretty incredible i'm always still a little bit starstruck like oh i work with larry gibbert now you know (laughs) i watched him every morning growing up or d sarton who is the nicest individual Mm -hmm. and yeah meteorology i i really did not realize that that was what i wanted to do when i grew up you know they always say what are you going to be when you grow up Mm -hmm. and um that wasn't really a thought in my head but then once i figured it out i started working in tv news back in 2000 eight, 2009. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I just, it was the one thing that fit for me. So I went back to school for meteorology and it was like the light bulb went on. And then I realized that my nickname has always been breezy. And my grandpa <laughs> called me that when I was a baby and I'm a farmer's daughter. So weather is super important. And mm-hmm. so it just has been a really good fit for me. Very enjoyed cool. it a lot. Oh, I love it. That's a great story. And so we've already kind of alluded to the fact that you grew up on a farm. Tell us where that was and and what that was like. Yep. We were, um, I I don't remember who said it first, but someone described it as we were right in the middle of smack and dab. (laughs) I loved it because uh, we had a Meridian phone number, a Nampa address, and I went to CUNA schools. So you can kind of picture the area somewhere out here, right? Uh, (laughs) And um, I actually told my husband the other day, it was so funny because we couldn't get pizza delivered to our farm. (laughs) And so my dad would actually drive out to what was Amity and Black Cat to to meet the pizza truck because that's as far as they would go. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I grew up on a farm and here here close to CUNA and... uh, my dad raised peppermint. He was a crop farmer. We didn't have any animals aside from cats because, you know, little girls need to grow up with some kind of pet in the family. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, wide open spaces. You know, I drive by it all the time now and it's Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of memories there. You know, we did have some animals. Remember when the baby skunks visited? Oh yeah. (laughs) That was did not end well for the skunks, for the skunks. or our cat. Yeah. <laughs> or cat. I had a similar experience. It did not end well for the skunks or for me. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been sprayed, and uh, oh. that is not pleasant. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this. I have to take a quick break. Let's take that quick break, and then when we come back, let's talk about kind of the path you took after high school, Bree. Yeah. And then Drew, we'll, t- we'll jump into talking about your farm and what you're doing out there. Okay. Okay. No matter where work takes you, DNB Supply makes it easy to get the job done with DeWalt FlexVolt Tools. With advanced battery technology, DeWalt FlexVolt Tools gives you the power of freedom to work without cords. For construction, remote job sites, and outdoor projects, the heavy-duty FlexVolt line offers everything from hammer drills to table saws to air compressors and more. So get out there and get to work with DeWalt FlexVolt Volt Power Tools, available at your favorite D&B Supply. 
It's a pretty super life here at DMB Supply, even for dogs and cats, because we now carry Wildology, the only pet food with Super Life Pro, a live probiotic blended with superfoods. Wildology is filled with the good stuff your pet needs to support a healthy body and immune system, like wholesome proteins, kale, chia seeds, and blueberries, because a healthy pet makes for a happy pet. Unleash your pet's superpower and pick up Wildology cat and dog food at your favorite DMB Supply. All right. Well, Bree, back to you. So tell us about the path you took after you finished your high school career here in CUNA. Well, I have to say, and and I think my, my dad will agree with this, but I always had a, a lot of pushback. I was a... I adventurer. Guess, like, yeah, yeah. And, but I was always too his, his little princess daughter that was, you know, needed to wear the lacy socks and it was like, oh, I don't want to go irrigating or, you know, mm-hmm. I remember one time my mom was like, just play outside for a half hour. And that was the worst torture she could have put me through because it's not what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. So I had a lot of pushback on it. And when I graduated high school, went to San Diego State because my uh, cousins were from California and also because In-N-Out Burger is in California. That's mm-hmm. a true story. I went to school based on fast food preference. <laughs> and um, and then, you know, spent my four years there, studied abroad a couple of times and uh, got the taste for traveling, which I, was a really good experience because you, to see what the other parts of the world look right, like right. Uh, was really awesome. And then I came home and I was here for six years or five years before um, I got the job opportunity to move to Boston, which is something I'd never, you know, considered possible or thought mm-hmm. about. And we were there for four years, which I now I say four years was probably just perfect. If we'd stayed too long, we wouldn't have fond memories any mm-hmm. longer. And four years is kind of like another college stint. And we yeah. went and we adventured and, and then my husband and I had, had our baby and then that was a good time to reevaluate what is important. And so my husband and I joke all the time that we pretty much time traveled. We just turned back the clock as if Boston didn't happen. Uh And we moved back into the same neighborhood in Meridian off of Black Cat Road, Uh about a half a mile or so from my parents, which has been amazing to have grandma and grandpa close for help with the baby. And uh, a lot's changed around here. That's for sure. It was hard to move back, hard to find a house. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people find that appeal to this place. And um, I'm glad I finally realized how much I loved it and the benefits of, of being here. And then mm-hmm. obviously raising my daughter here. I'm sure she'll push back on me too, just like <laughs> I did. Well, and we're glad, uh, my wife and I are very glad to have Bree and Sean and baby Charlie back and close. And it's, it's fun to, to enjoy it. And, and, and the cousins and, 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 uh, her sister and her husband, they, they all enjoy, we're close family. And so it's great to have family all, all together. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a little story to tell when you first came back, uh, and started working for Fox 12 as a reporter. I remember it was your first Saturday. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you walked into the newsroom and the, the news person there said, well, we're supposed to head out to notice and I'm supposed to show you how to work the camera. And cause a semi, a cattle truck was hit by a, a train out in notice. And, but he says, I don't have time to go out there. So, so let's just find something to do here. And you said, Oh no, uh, you show me how the camera works because you were a little green yeah. as a reporter oh, yeah. and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll head out and, uh, shoot the story. And if it's 
it's no good, we didn't lose anything. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing you did when you got into the little Channel 12 cars, you called me and said, Dad, how do I get to notice? Everybody notice. And then I show up there in high heels and it's snowing. And I I don't remember who it was, but the wonderful ISP trooper was like, you must be new at this. And then he walked me through the entire thing. So he actually trained me how to do my job. My, da- my dad got me to know I couldn't have done it on my own. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it did it. The, that story ended up on the news that night. Oh, yeah. very funny. We're very yeah. proud of her. So you probably learned to have an extra pair of shoes for Idaho. Oh, boy. All all sorts of things. You need, yeah, you got to be prepared for all of it. Very interesting. Well, I I am selfishly going to ask you a lot about meteorology just because I'm I'm an enthusiast. Uh, But the first question I had for you about that is, and I know that people that are into the weather have this, do you have a favorite cloud type? Oh, I love I love just puffy cumulus clouds because it, I always say that it, when when it's a day when you get those beautiful picturesque the kind that are in storybooks it reminds me of the movie Up uh-huh. when they're laying and telling what the cloud shapes look like mm-hmm. so yeah and cumulonimbus just because when I do school visits it's the kids trying to get the kids to say cumulonimbus like they've got it and it's right at the tip of their uh-huh. tongue but it always gets too long of a word. What about you? Uh, me? Well, honestly, I love thunderstorms. Yeah. So cumulus. Yeah. 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 Uh, that'd be my favorite. But in, in an interesting rainstorm or interesting snowstorm, those low-lying stratus, I really like too. What did one cloud say to the other cloud? Oh, boy. I don't Why know. Why so serious? <laughs> yeah, the kids at the school visits don't like that one either. It's not very funny. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to... I couldn't even pull a charity laugh out on, on that Yeah, it was one. bad. Yeah, it was bad. You can edit that part out. Okay, okay. Well, so I wanted to ask you, you've got you've got a course of study, Broadcast Meteorology. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Is that different than somebody who studies specifically meteorology? Uh, not necessarily. I think they're probably about two paths that you could go down. So you could be Mm -hmm. someone who in high school said, I want to be a meteorologist and I know that. So I'm going to go to college and get my four-year degree as a science major Mm -hmm. and study, you know, the physics and the science that's all involved in that. And a lot of math, it's a lot of calculus or my path, which as I said before, I didn't realize this is what I wanted to do. So I majored in I love saying that. I majored in pretend at San Diego State. I was a theater major. um, But I always said that that would benefit me later in life because I could pretend to do any job that I wanted to do, right? I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Turns out I'm not that funny. So that, (laughs) as we just learned. So um, I think that... When I got into news, I started working with the Better Business Bureau and they were doing a little show and I was writing for the Idaho Business Review and just dabbling in journalism. I took journalism classes in school and it wasn't, uh, it was a lot of obituary practice writing, which was not my bag. Uh So I started working in news and then liked doing weather. I filled in one time for the weather person and mm-hmm. I it was the first time in my life that the light bulb went on and I said, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. So I p- applied to Mississippi State University. So that's the other path that you can go down. Okay. Uh, Mississippi State offers online classes and as far as I know, it's the only program that you can take online currently. Um, and it's been this way for years and years and years. There's a lot of people who have come out of uh, Mississippi State. And then it's a three-year program, and then you uh, do like a capstone visit to Mississippi to wrap it all up to get this credit in 
Very broadcast good. meteorology. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting path. I've, I've looked into it a million times too, and it's the math that's always yeah. kept me away. All of the calculus, right? Yeah. Yep. Let's take our second break, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Drew for a moment. Okay. You wear jeans, but you live in Levi's. At D&B Supply, we've got a pair to fit you just right. Iconic and hardworking, Levi's are legendary. Worn by cowboys, rock stars, and everyday people, we carry different washes, styles, and sizes for both men and women. These jeans are ready for anything your day brings, from working outside to a night on the town. The denim legacy lives on every time you put them on. So pick up some Levi's at D&B. For work, play, or a little bit of both this winter, stop by D&B Supply for Wrangler gear. From flannel line jeans to stylish shirts and jackets, fit for the field or a night out, Wrangler has you covered. Established in 1947 with the spirit of courageous individuality, Wrangler apparel is designed to last and look good to boot. With new styles and great fits, it's clothing that wears well no matter what the season or what life throws at it. So stop by your favorite D&B and get covered this winter in Wrangler gear. All right. Right, we're back. Well, Drew, so I've got a question for you. Right before we went to break, Bree was talking about majoring in pretend, which I, I found very interesting. And then she talked about her justification <laughs> for that, uh, that she always knew at some point in life she would be able to do something with that. Now, I've just got to say, is that the sales pitch she gave you to go off and major in, in theater? Well, of course, uh, Deborah and I are very proud of Brianne and what she's accomplished. And, and you know, uh, when she was down at San Diego State, uh, I was glad she was going to college. And I, I believe being from CUNA, she was the most conservative student at San Diego State. So so that was no problem. And uh, we, we'd go down and watch some of her theater performances and, and we're proud of her and how well she did. But knew that that she would turn it into something good yeah. and uh, so we we're glad that we we always felt it would turn out good for her and and uh everything went well well that's they, great i had the most supportive parents they were always <laughs> like whatever makes you happy brie just keep on doing something so that's great. yeah they were very well supportive. and it turned out exactly like you yeah, said. Yeah, it did. Yeah, very good. Well, Drew, I want to ask you, uh, I want to talk about your farm, and I want to talk about uh, growing mint right. and all of that, but I just found out when you guys got here that one of the most notable roads we have in the Treasure Valley, Black Cat Road, was named by by your grandfather. Right. my right? grandfather. Uh, my grandmother and grandfather uh, came out to Idaho uh, in the early 20s and bought an 80 acres uh, out, uh, well, where I-84 and, and Black Cat Road is now. And mm-hmm. that road was called Post Road at the time. And uh, they raised prunes on the 80 acres and then uh, started getting into uh, dairy and registered dairy cattle. And, and his dad, my great-grandfather, had the dairy farm over on 10 mile in overland and so they were into registered dairy cattle but my uh, uh, grandfather needed a name for his farm and he was looking in a magazine uh, national magazine one evening in the early 30s and saw the proud cat which is a sign that's down at franklin and and black cat road now Mm -hmm. and thought black cat farm that's a good name for the farm for the registered dairy cattle and uh my grandmother had the sign made and put up down on Franklin Road and Post Road. And, and at that time, Franklin Road was old Highway 30 or Highway 30 because there wasn't the freeway. And so all the 
interstate traffic a lot of it came down that road so people would call they'd give directions you go out of meridian three miles west to black cat road and and where the black cat sign was and and uh but back in the 50s then, when my dad returned to the farm, uh, the county started uh, naming the roads. They didn't have name road names signs out. And since everybody called Black Cat Road, Black Cat Road, or Post Road, Black Cat Road, they just went ahead and uh, named it Black Cat Road after my grandfather's farm. Well, that's really cool. There's, you know, there's a few roads here in the valley that are so distinct in their names that they stand out. And Black Cat's definitely one of those. Great getting to hear the history of how that came about. Right. Well, it's also interesting they grew prunes. Now, yeah. I fancy myself uh, a connoisseur of agriculture, a fan of agriculture, and, and like to know about things. But if somebody came to me before today and said, could I grow prunes here in the Treasure Valley? Since I've never seen them grown here, I'd probably go, no, you can't. But at one point in time... That was the crop of choice. Right. And if you go on the old farm, it's no longer in the family now, but you go on the east end of the farm along the fence line there, there's some old prune sprouts left from my grandparents' farm where you can pick those prunes, English plums, prunes, they're kind of oblong. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we can still enjoy them today. Oh, wow. We did this summer, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. You had some at home. Well, now, I want to congratulate you. I understand that you're retiring after this year. Right, right. I, my, my wife and I came back to the farm in 1978 to raise peppermint, and we were able to do that. And uh, after some thinking and my age, the way it is, we decided that uh, 2019 will be the last year of farming. Uh, we've had a lot of fun at it. Uh, I started distilling uh, mint. My dad started raising it back in the late 60s. And mm-hmm. then 71, the year I graduated from Meridian High School, we uh, he and his partner bought a little mint still out of Washington. And we put it there on Black Cat Road north of the freeway and uh, ran that for 20 years. And then uh, in 91, I had a lot of neighbors uh, wanting me to do custom harvesting. And that little still wouldn't do it. And so we built a brand new still up mm-hmm. uh, above by the gravel pit where my shop and farm lot is now. And we had natural gas, which is, is uh, economically right to run a boiler to create the steam. So uh, it's it's been fun. Well, I mean, as, as we all know, the average age of a farmer in the United States is really elevated. Uh, it's, it's very high. So from your perspective, how does a farmer decide when it's the right time to retire? Well, it's funny. I have good friends that have sons that are coming back or, or the next generation. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what continues the next generation. But, but, uh, Deborah and I raised in two great daughters and they went off in other directions and, and there really isn't a generation to next generation to run the farm. And, uh, uh, in mint, mint, you kind of mint your ground out. You have so many rotations where the verticillium wilt builds up and, and, and you can't really raise a profitable crop anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and you get to a point where you need new ground, but you, yet you're, getting too tired to do that (laughs) and so so the decision was made when when the planning four years ago kind of ran out that Mm -hmm. it was time to retire and and i've sold uh the majority of my mint harvesting equipment to young farmers over in this oregon Mm -hmm. and and they're uh real excited and they have new ground and i think it'll be really good for them so i'll try to mentor them and get them going great well, now, is there any rotation in the mint farming business? Well, you know, we plant mint. It's like uh, uh, strawberry roots. We plant roots. And mm-hmm. the, after the first year, you do get a, a crop 
the first year. It doesn't yield as well as the second and third year. You can leave, it's perennial, so you leave it in four to five years, and then you need to, to rotate it out and leave it out probably twice as long, maybe eight or so years before you come back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, every mint farmer loves to have brand new ground. If you have brand new ground that's never had a history of mint, you'll get your maximum yield, your, your returns off a of new ground. And, mm-hmm. and a, a rotation of the second and third time around it just uh, doesn't quite do as well mm-hmm. and and it comes to a point where it's not economically feasible to do it anymore okay and then what i do is i've been raising silage corn and winter wheat and pinto beans uh, in the past i've raised sugar beets in rotation mm-hmm. and and uh tried to rotate with other crops well now i've got a question for both of you mm-hmm. about mint and this goes back and we were discussing off the air that I did an internship during college here in the Treasure Valley in agriculture, and so I got exposed to to mint farming and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And and so here's my question. Uh, I always broke the, the wonderful aromas you get from mint fields down into three different times of the year. One was just the growing season, where the mint's growing. Mm-hmm. Two is when it's being cut. But three is when it's being distilled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a favorite smell of those three but i wanted to ask you guys what is what is your favorite of those three because while they're similar i think there's a bit of a difference there too go ahead marie you got it i like the fresh cut but going to the mint still i always thought it was funny when you would bring friends out there who weren't used to it uh-huh. and it would be too much for them and they'd be either kind of choking or crying <laughs> a little bit because it is really powerful yeah. right up next to it i used to work on the farm and i get really excited about whatever lunch i brought for the day mm-hmm. and you can never taste it everything yeah. just tastes like mint because it's mm-hmm. that powerful it just kind of takes over but i'd say fresh fresh cut then yeah you know with me we harvest the mint single cut peppermint in august and about the end of july you're walking in the fields and you can tell there's a change in the smell out there mm-hmm. and you know it's getting ready for harvest when it becomes just a little sweeter just a little more enjoyable Mm -hmm. than during the previous the growing season before that and and that's the feeling i get all right it's time to (laughs) to cut it and bring it in so that's the time i like the best i can remember going to a neighbor's mint still when i was in high school and i couldn't this i couldn't stand being there Mm -hmm. and and you know now it is it is you just don't even know it when you're around the still so okay All right, well, we've got to take another break. Let's do that really quick, and then when we'll come back, we'll continue with you, Drew, and we'll be back to break. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia boots, and you'll find a great selection at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles, while on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earned the nickname of America's Hardest Working boots and pick up a pair of Georgia boots at your favorite D&B supply. The chicken or the egg? D&B knows what comes first. It's Neutrina NatureWise Layer Chicken Feed, which leads to both a healthier chicken and fresh hard-shelled eggs. With over 90 years of experience raising healthy poultry, Neutrina NatureWise gives your hens wholesome, natural nutrition they can sink their beaks into. Free-range and home-raised flocks gobble this expertly designed and formulated layer feed in pellets and crumbles. So flock to your favorite D&B supply to pick up a bag of Neutrina NatureWise Layer Chicken Feed for balanced nutrition. All right. Well, now that we're back, I, I still have a few more questions for you, Drew. So I wanted to ask you about Brie. 
Yeah. Uh, so she's told us about how everything kind of clicked uh, to become a meteorologist and, and the nickname of Breezy and all these, right. these funny coincidences. But how about for you? When, when she decided to be a meteorologist, were you able to look back and go, oh, I should have seen this or I always knew it was coming or something like that? Well, you know, as a little girl and growing up, she always could talk. Uh, <laughs> Brienne, Brienne never had lack of words mm-hmm. and, and she could always uh, present her side of the story very well. And so... I, I knew that that would be good for her, for her future, mm-hmm. that, that she could uh, explain herself and talk about something. And so uh, never worried about her al- along that line. <laughs> You'll love, can I, I have to tell you this story because yes. it's one of our favorites as a family. But so I'm down in college, San Diego State, mm-hmm. and I was working as an extra in Hollywood on like the days I didn't have classes. Okay. And so um, you can do this. Yeah, you know what's coming. <laughs> you can do this to get your SAG voucher. SAG is the actors, Screen Actors Guild. It's mm-hmm. the union. And basically, in order to get any good paying roles, you have to have uh, SAG membership. Okay. So you can get vouchers for certain things, but they're really difficult to get. I'd never gotten a voucher, and it was like, union is just never going to happen. So my dad calls me one day, and he says, are you sitting down? I have to tell you something. And you get that feeling of like, oh, gosh. Yeah. And I said, Dad, I'm driving. Do I need to pull over? What are you What are you going to break the news to me? Mm-hmm. And what did you say to me? I said, uh, I'm, I have to tell you that I got my SAG, SAG uh, card. It, it was really funny. I was uh, in the alternator shop in Nampa, and the beet, sugar beet field man came in and said, there's a film crew coming in tomorrow to interview farmers about uh, uh, different things and you'd be perfect to come in and talk to them so you need to come out to the beet factory and and uh, visit with them and so I showed up and visited with them and a day later uh, they called me up and said uh, you know Drew we really would like to come out to your farm and interview you in a sugar beet field or a corn field and I but that's all they could tell me and I was real skeptical of who they were what their approach was Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if that was a different person and I was interviewed, I could be kicked out of the ag community if I was on the wrong side of an issue. So it really bothered me. And, and they showed up uh, the next day and we were distilled in mint and said, uh, uh, we'll, we would like to, we'll interview you for an hour and ask you questions. They still wouldn't tell me who they were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then when you're done with the interview, you always can tell us, uh, whether you liked it or not. And if you don't sign the consent form, we're gone. Well, to make the story short, I agreed and they came out and we interviewed and, it, and, and I, I sat out in a straw field and talked and for about an hour and I was exhausted. And when they were done, he says, we're doing this for British petroleum about alternative energy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, we're trying to make some commercials. There was other people in the Valley that got, uh, uh, interviewed. And so I said, sure. And they gave me my $150 and I never thought anything about it. And then, uh, the following June, I got a call from an agent in Chicago and said, <laughs> we've taken your shot, one of your spots and we're going to put it on national news. It hit the golf channel quite a bit. And I got a royalty for standing out in my straw field. <laughs> Plus I became a SAG member, <laughs> And I don't think she'll ever forgive me for that. that I made funny. it. I made it. I got I got SAG after a membership yeah. at my last job. So I finally got what I was searching for for all those uh-huh. years. But man, that just blew me away. That is ironic. <laughs> I was discovered in the alternator shop. That is very, very funny. 
Man, I can just see that with my daughter too. She's out just working away, trying to achieve something, and somebody just rolls in and Got hands it. it to me. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> that is funny. Very, very. Thank you for sharing that story. I've got to ask you about an urban legend, Drew. So, okay. uh, so my history. I started a business in 2012, exterminating gophers, called yeah. Idaho Gopher Control. Okay. I've I've since sold that business. I sold it a couple of years ago. But as I got to know more and more about gophers and pocket gophers in the Treasure Valley, and as I as I called on more and more people and had more and more customers, I kept hearing that gophers don't like mint. And mm. I kept hearing this. So you have grown mint all these years. <laughs> Did you ever have gophers in your mint field? We're out trapping gophers today. <laughs> uh, if you're a farmer, you're going to have gophers. And... Uh, uh, we have a special kind of trap that we buy. In fact, I go to D&B Supply in Meridian and get mm-hmm. my trap. I won't tell you what kind it is. It's a little... <laughs> it, it gets them good. I think it's the same one I use. Yes, yes. And uh, no, if if you farm or, or have property, uh, you're going to have gophers. And, so the mint and, doesn't keep them out. No, we... we uh, it's not as bad as a hay field. Uh, an old hay field, they love old hay fields. But still around the edges, along the ditches, canal mm-hmm. banks you're going to have gophers well okay. now i can't wait to share that answer with my husband because we had a cat that was digging constantly digging in uh-huh. one of our plants and so uh we had heard the same thing you know mint oil whatever uh-huh. we went to my dad and said we got to keep this cat out of this plant and he said just put a little mint oil around the pot on the edge of the pot mm-hmm. and my husband not really knowing my dad very well said well Will that work? Will it keep the cat out? And my dad said, I don't know, but at least you'll have a good smelling cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the cat's doing in the pot. Right. It'll smell like mint. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that is very funny. Well, and another question about mint farming for you. Uh, so when I first learned about it back in the 1990s when I was doing that internship and I found out about the distilling and then the mint oil, mint oil, is it something where... And I'm just wanting everybody out there listening to understand more about what we do with this crop in the valley. But you distil, you distill the mint into mint oil. Then the mint oil, can it be kept? Can you hold on to it until the price is more favorable for you to sell it? Right, right. We put it in 55-gallon drums or or a 2,000-pound plastic totes, and they're stored in the buyer's warehouse. They they store it uh, as soon as you uh, put it in the drums uh and if it's not sold, they don't charge you for storage. All they ask is first right of refusal. So, yes, mint, mint oil stored without getting too hot. And if you just keep it at a constant temperature in, in those containers, uh, uh, not let the air in so it doesn't oxidize. It'll, it'll last for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And out of the sunlight, that's, that's another detriment. So, uh, mint oil, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll survive. You, it's good and bad. Uh, you don't have to sell your crop, but if you get an oversupply, you've mm-hmm. got a lot of farmers have it in the warehouse. There's mm-hmm. a lot of it and the price goes down. Right. So it's not like a, a perishable crop like onions or potatoes that are have to be gone every year. Mm-hmm. So it's positive, but yet it's a, there's a negative for the carryover. And do you know where the bulk of your mint winds up? Right. Uh, most, most of peppermint ends up in flavoring, gum and toothpaste. And okay. uh, Colgate, Wrigley's, Procter & Gamble, all the big mint users is, mm-hmm. is where the, uh, you know, candy's a small, small user. But the uh, majority of the mint oil ends up in flavoring. 
flavorings for gum and toothpaste. One last break and we'll get to our last segment. We'll come back to Bree. Feeding your pet's lifelong health starts with science, and that's exactly what's behind Hill's Science Diet. Made by vets, scientists, and nutritionists, Hill's Science Diet offers biology-based nutrition for all pets with formulas for every age, size, and special requirement or need, like joint health and weight loss that create differences you can see, feel, and trust. No wonder it's the number one veterinarian-recommended pet food. So pick up Hill's Science Diet at D&B Supply today. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Bayland Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Bayland Country at DNB. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Bayland Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Bayland Country at DNB Supply. All right. Well, Bree, on this last segment, I want to ask you about growing up on a farm and, and some more about your journey. But my first question for you is growing up on a farm and then and then going off to places like San Diego, probably uh, going to school with a lot of people who had n- nothing close to the exposure that you'd had. Mm-hmm. How did growing up on a farm, how did that impact your work ethic when it came to what you've done with your life? Hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know how it couldn't, you know, it, uh, <laughs> right? It does. Uh, since we didn't have animals, it wasn't like I was out there doing chores on a daily basis. Like mm-hmm. a lot of my friends that I grew up with it, at CUNA High School were always up really early to, to go milk the cows or whatever the case was, mm-hmm. even, even move pipe. But I'd go out with my dad and irrigate every once in a while. I think what I, what I really loved is that I could tell these stories that just didn't make sense to people, like that I could irrigate, that I could set siphon tubes, and that we used to have siphon tube setting contests or... Mm-hmm. Um, the other day, I saw a piece of um, farm machinery on the side of the road, and I still don't know what it's used for, but I pointed it out to my husband. I said, my dad had one of those in the back, and you know what it was great for? It was an awesome balance beam when I was a kid. So the things that um, that I was doing as a kid, were, which I thought um, was totally normal, mm-hmm. uh, going somewhere else, it's not normal at all. <laughs> and yeah. so I loved freaking people out with those stories. <laughs> well, I'd like to add something. When she went to San Diego State, uh, you know, she didn't have a free ride to go down there and go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we helped her out with her college education, but she had to have a uh, part-time work down there mm-hmm. to, to make it work. And uh, so uh, knowing how to work, I think, helped her out that she yeah. learned on the farm. Absolutely. And then the the early morning hours when I started, when I first started in the news business, I was doing uh, the morning show. Oh boy. And so you get up at two in the morning and and it was pretty funny when my dad said i don't i i can't yeah he's shaking his head right now he's like i can't (laughs) believe that this kid is able to do these hours Uh and get up Uh at these hours but i don't know i guess you you make it work somehow yeah absolutely and that's not speaking directly to your work work ethic question oh i think it it might yeah yeah i think so getting up at two takes some work ethic (laughs) for sure well, it's funny. My next question on the list for you, which you already answered, was can you set siphon tubes? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm pretty proud of that. Um, yeah. Not as quick as my dad can. Uh-huh. He can do it just one-handed and go down the row super quickly. But but yeah, I, I love to pull that party trick out, you know, just to say, mm-hmm. like, I'll show you sometime. You come visit in the summertime when the when the ditches are full and I'll show you how to set siphon tubes. 
You know, it's funny. Uh, I know that other places around the country will irrigate with siphon tubes, but really the only other place I've seen it in widespread is I drove through Phoenix a couple years ago, and I saw people down there irrigating with siphon tubes like we do here in Idaho. But I think there's probably a lot of people listening that don't understand what this is. I don't even know how easy it is to describe it verbally, but uh, there's contests because it's very difficult to do. Still, every year at the Canyon County Fair, there's a siphon tube setting Mm -hmm. contest. It's very difficult to do. Drew, if you could, try and describe it for our listeners really quick. Well, uh, a best way to use siphon tubes, you have a concrete ditch, which is a form ditch made out of concrete. You can do set a use a tube on a dirt ditch, Mm -hmm. but but uh, mainly it's on a concrete ditch. And you have tins that you set in the ditch that raise the water level up mm-hmm. uh, to a higher level than the field level. And then you just take the tube and uh, pump the air out of the siphon tube with a pumping action and then throw the tube down real fast below the water level of the concrete ditch. And it starts a siphoning and it siphons and, and for usually one tube per corrugate. And, and the siphon tube decide on how much water you need. You may use a bigger tube if you need to push it through faster or if it's on a slope and you don't want as much flow Mm -hmm. you use a smaller tube Mm -hmm. and i was like the the tinier ones because you know as a little girl right your hands are so little so you couldn't set them as quickly but then you'd have the like two inch pipe or yeah there's two and three inch and they're they're hard they're hard the three inch well, and they're, the pipe are kind of an upside-down U. Yes. Right, so they right. can go over the hump of, the, of right, the ditch. Right, Yeah, it's a fascinating way of doing things. And uh, I will tell you, I've set them, but I'm not good at it. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure you would kill me in a contest <laughs> break. I don't know anymore, but but hey, we I'd love to try. Let's challenge accepted. <laughs> Canyon County Fair okay. this July. Sounds Ooh, great. We'll see you there. High noon. My bet's on her. <laughs> <laughs> My bet is also on her. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but that's a fixed bet because uh, I can throw it. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I, Bree, I, I got to talk to you about your time in Boston Yeah. Uh, really quick. And I got to do this. I love Boston. I've got a very close friend that I was college roommates with who lives there now, actually in Waltham, Mass. And yeah. Uh, always, I'm so jealous of their weather, and so you got you got to Boy. focus on their incredible weather, mm-hmm. 365 days a year while you were there. Do you miss it? Yeah, I do. There are parts, absolutely. I have always said too. You know, we were talking about the path that I chose to become a meteorologist. Working there for four years is how I became a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. Like whatever I learned in school, you learned something in school, sure. but application was huge. And my first winter there was the record-breaking snowfall winter of 110.6 inches of snow. Oh, wow. Average winter in Boston is plenty of snow. That's like 44 inches. That's uh-huh. enough, but plenty. I think Boise averages something like just over 19 inches through mm-hmm. the entire winter. But And you got to imagine, too, when you're talking about snow in Boston, this is like... It's it's impactful. It shuts the city down. It shuts life down for mm-hmm. however long it's snowing for. And that particular winter, it didn't get above freezing for 64 days. You love how I remember all these stats. Uh-huh. So the snow was just snow on top of snow on top of snow. It wasn't going anywhere. It was a nightmare. And that was mm-hmm. my first winter. And I was thinking, oh, I just want to go home. This is too much. <laughs> this is too much. Too many frozen tears. But it was exciting. And those storm systems there are incredible. They have almost the the worst of all types of weather there. They still get tornadoes, even though they also get these crazy snowstorms in the winter time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the worst part about living up there in the Northeast is that the earliest sunset is at 4.11 in the afternoon Wow! in December. That was really tough to deal with. I do miss it because it was exciting, but it also 
when we'd go into a storm, it was, as I mentioned, life altering for everyone involved. So Mm -hmm. we would go in at three in the morning and be on air constantly. No breaks, no Today Show, no Ellen, uh, (laughs) all the way to 1130 at night Mm -hmm. and then repeat it the next day. So there's no sleep when it's snowing and it's it's a little it's a little draining. So I think that was one of the things too when I knew that I had a a baby coming. Yeah. It was like I want to be a mommy too. Right. And so I want to I want to have some place that's going to be supportive of both of those things and that definitely I, f- I found that at KTVB. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have probably the best case scenario here you know i've had people in boston messaging me and saying well it looks like you took all the snow with you because we know what happened this february all that snow in the mountains but it was mainly in the mountains we're still just at average or just below as far as boise snowfall for a winter currently so it is one of those things when we've got a snowstorm here typically it's not something that's going to shut life down for us here in Boise, right. it's more in, in the mountains. And then it's great news for, for irrigation. And Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people that if you're looking for a really nice climate, mm-hmm. uh, the Treasure Valley is, is actually a really nice climate. Don't tell people. <laughs> but if you're looking for exciting weather, I don't know that this is the place. Mm-hmm. It seems like our weather kind of is kind of pretty calm compared yeah. to the rest of the country. I used to say when I was out there, they people would ask me this question. They'd say, well, what was the weather like in Boise? And I'd say, oh, it's weather 101. It's whatever. No, nope. It is so challenging because we're, we're talking about elevation out here. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different meteorology when you're talking about mountain meteorology okay. as opposed to, you know, what's the, what's the one key player when you get into New England? It's the Atlantic Ocean, right. you know? So your storm systems are looking completely different from this coast to that coast. And the other really challenging part about doing weather here is by the time storm systems, they move west to east, right? Across mm-hmm. the country. And by the time they get to New England, you've had the storm system pass all of these weather observation points along the way. And so that's what's giving our forecast models all of the information that they need to give mm-hmm. you a good forecast of what you can expect. But when you think about it here in the Pacific Northwest, Intermountain Northwest, what, what do you say? Where are we? Intermountain Northwest? It's hard for me to call high desert Pacific Northwest, right. so I always say Intermountain West. Interma- I do too. So so either way, where, where we're located with only Washington and Oregon as a as a observation real estate, it's really tough to track these big storm systems that are coming out of the Gulf of Alaska or out from Hawaii because over the ocean, you don't get those great right. observations. So um, that's always a tricky part, too. That's why I think, you know, people get so frustrated. The forecast is always changing here. But but that's why is because we we lack the opportunity for observation. I'd never thought of that. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, along those same lines. uh, So you've you've got your meteorological career ahead Mm -hmm. of you. You've got your parenting career ahead of you. (laughs) Uh, So will we be able to keep you in the Treasure Valley? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm I'm really grateful that again, I I know I keep saying this and it, it's not a plug, but like KTVB said come home to us, you know, mm-hmm. and they and they made that possible for me and and I said, "Well, you know, I want to be a mommy too." And they said, "Even better. We we support that." And I've definitely felt that support um working there, which is really incredible. So, That's great. and I don't know, I I think they've aired a lot, but they've been airing these these sweet little promos that we shot out at the farm right before I started when I came back from maternity leave. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I talk about bringing Charlie back because I wanted to teach her how to irrigate and I wanted her Mm -hmm. to have these opportunities that I really took for granted, you know, and on our way here, I said to my dad, I can't wait. I got to take my baby to DMB to see the chicks Uh in the springtime Mm -hmm. because I know that she'll just love that. She loves animals. So, you know, those opportunities wouldn't have been available I'm sure you can raise a kid in the city, but I wasn't a kid that was raised in the city, so I didn't know how to raise a kid in the city. You know what I mean? We go back to what we know. Sure. Well, you guys, this has been great. I've loved hearing your story. Loved the surprise information about Black Cat Farm and how Black Cat Road got its name. I think that's great. Uh, So, Drew and Bree, thank you so much for joining me today. and and Really appreciate you coming out and, and coming to my place and and talking to me about your family history. Now you're going to let me see your animals. Absolutely. It was fun to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.